and welcome to How to Grow a Pod, the podcast about podcasting from the book How to Start and Grow a Successful Podcast by me, Chilly Smith. This is where you'll find the almost unedited interviews by the pioneers of podcasting, the hobbyists and the pros who feature in the book. This week I'm with award-winning podcast producer and playwright Chris Hogg, who used the unlikely format of a drum and bass musical to tell the story of eating disorders to a young audience in his podcast, Cassie and Corey. He told me six weeks after the launch how he did it, the crowdfunding, the sip pitch and how to get on new and noteworthy. He started by telling me about working with the Arts Council. So the Arts Council um, funded um, have funded two of my podcasts now. The first one was Rathband, which was um, the story of the blinding of PC David Rathband, but uh, for which they gave me £8,953. Um, and... This second podcast, Cassie and Corey, I applied for £15,000 and I was rejected the first time. Um, I was rejected because uh, Arts Council applications are pretty tough. They all take you a good four or five days to fill in and gather all the information and also to write it in such a way that you are being absolutely clear. Because under £15,000, the Arts Council will make a decision in about six weeks which is incredibly quick and from what i understand um each area of the uk will have two arts council officers and they'll sit there with a pile of you know 70 or 80 applications that month and they will go through them and they do not have long to go through them so you have to be crystal clear about what your artistic activities are what you plan to do and your artistic aims are you know what you plan to achieve long term through doing that work of art and it takes quite a long time to sort those out and write those in a very very clear way but um, the second time I applied for Cassie and Corey, they it did get accepted. And so I received £15,000 to make a podcast, which when you're making a drama podcast, I mean, they all said, but it doesn't go very far. And so um, the Arts Council also will, won't fund an entire project. You have to bring a proportion of the budget to the project already. And so that might be your script, which you can put in as uh, work in kind. It might be a Kickstarter. It might be that people are offering you work at half price, in which case it's kind of um, gifts in kind. But they will not fund projects that don't have at least 10%. And I generally recommend that you try and have at least a third of the money raised yourself, um, a third of the money in kind, and you're asking the Arts Council for a third of the money. So the actual budget for Cassie and Corey, even though I received £15,000, was probably closer to twenty-one or £22,000. Um, luckily, we were given a studio for free, which made the world of difference, but it did allow me to pay the actors. And for me, that is the most important thing, that I'm creating work for people that don't necessarily, that, that have precarious lives and that's what the arts council money is for is to try and get as many people work within the arts at a local level as possible um and uh i think i achieved that i'm really proud of cassie and Corey. i think it's quite a special piece of work now when you were pitching this to the arts council you have to do outcomes there has to be impact how were you selling this because i'm very interested in niche podcasting who are the audiences of podcasts and niche is where podcasts really excels well i'm really interested in writing for teenagers i think that they are 
so interesting as a group. They are full of energy and thought and passion and um, they need stories. Um, They get a certain type of stories from the TV, they get a certain type of story from YouTube, but I wanted them to get a certain type of story from listening, from an immersive art form, because podcasting is the most immersive art form and I really, really enjoy writing for people when they're at the centre of your experience. So I like the conjunction of ASMR and drama and young people and the types of stories that you don't actually get to listen to anywhere else. So Cassie and Corey is about a kid the night before his gastric band operation. He's huge. His name is Corey. His BMI is 60, which is gigantic. And he has infracranial hypertension, which is massive headaches. Um, But he doesn't want to have his operation. He's terrified of it. And so he steals a motorized scooter, picks up his best friend from eating disorder clinic, and then um, uh, goes on a journey through the night to the Brit school, a kind of teenager journey of the soul to the Brit school where there are running auditions and they are mad for drum and bass. And so somehow over that night, they go on an incredible journey where they kidnap a security guard, they break a shop window, they destroy a teenager anti-loitering device, and they go through all kinds of scrapes um, to come out at the other side where they can express themselves and tell people how they really feel. I made Cassie and Corey because of my own relationship with food. Food has always been an issue for me. It is a panacea. It is something that smooths over the cracks, that stops me feeling angry, that, you know, that just it has a multiple purposes. And over the years, it's, I suppose, the thing that I've used to kind of be in control and so I've always been interested in it as a subject Um, and then back in 2017 I received a really small commission from incredible theatre called Theatre 503 Um, and Theatre 503 sent me to go and discover what was happening in Wandsworth and they sent me to go to the NHS and so I turned up at St George's in Tooting and was chatting with the head of ethics, which was something I hadn't been expecting to be doing that week. But there I was at the top of this incredible building um, talking about what keeps her up and awake at night. And she said, well, the thing that keeps me up awake at night is the pressure that's put on the NHS to perhaps not treat people as well if they are responsible for their own conditions. So if they smoke or if they drink or if they overeat, as in these are things that people seem to be uh, encouraged to look after themselves to not cost the NHS money. Um, However, she thought that a lot of those conditions were not the fault of those people and so we decided that we might try and investigate um, those and then she also told me that St Thomas's was also the place where they did the most bariatric surgery for teenagers Um, and bariatric surgery is gastric band operations of which there are several types and they have an eating disorder clinic where they treat people with anorexia but they also treat people with bulimia and they also treat people who are uh, clinically obese and so consequently it seemed very interesting to me that if we could take the idea of people not caring for themselves around food and also take the idea 
um, of trying to take people on a journey um, using the things that I could learn from the NHS, it would be a very interesting podcast. You work at Royal Holloway University. Did you come up with that whole idea in conjunction with your students? Was it part of what you do at Royal Holloway? Was it a a research project? It began its life before I started teaching at Royal Holloway. Um, And so they weren't involved with the actual inspirations, but they were involved with the listening as in I would play portions of it to them and get their feedback get that chemical reaction between a piece of work and an audience which is something that I would always recommend um, uh, most of the recording had been done so they couldn't have much impact on the script at that point but I still wanted to kind of see the reaction that people had to see the, whether or not I was on the right tracks um, the inspiration behind it apart from my own experience came from cycling from Goldsmiths to central London one day and seeing two really huge people on one of those motorized scooters. I think it was a mum and a daughter and both of them were a plus size. And I hadn't, I wanted to take a picture. I was like, that's a beautiful thing. Um, But I didn't, but I did clock it in one of my 36 exposures that I keep in my head just for rememberings. And uh, I thought, well, what would happen if you put loads of people on a motorized scooter? How many people could you get on a motorized scooter? And so I decided that that would be the the form of transport in this kind of picaresque story where you're moving through the streets of South London. And I thought that the streets of South London were very poetic. I mean, I looked at the names of all the shops. I walked all the way from St George's all the way to the Brit School, which is where this story ends. And I made notice of every single shop, every single sign. And I tried to turn that into a kind of concrete poetry that's going through the heads of the characters as they're trying to get to their goal which is to change their lives so you're ticking a lot of boxes you're te- teaching public awareness of of a, a an under-resourced area perhaps in the public consciousness uh, you're looking at drum and bass you're putting lots of strange ill-fitting ideas mashing things up and creating something explosively new and did the arts council actually give you that kind of feedback did they say we are giving you how much of their money do they give you they gave me fifteen thousand pounds did they say Christopher Hogg, we are going to give you £15,000 because you're ticking this box, this box and this box. Do they give you that kind of feedback? No, when you're applying for under £15,000, the Arts Council does not give you any feedback. But if you're applying for over £15,000, then yes, they will send you your application back. And if it's failed, you can look through and see why it has failed. So you're absolutely right. The Arts Council is interested in trying to create art not only for hard-to-reach audiences, but also to create work for people that are perhaps underrepresented within the arts community. So um, Cassie and Corey was using some of Britain's finest black young actors. So we have Chuane Barrett, who was in a Marvel movie. We've got Yinka Awoni, who was um, in The Stranger. Um, and, you know, we just made a virtue of that, as, as we should. Um, and also, um, it's a story for young people, um, for teenagers that might not have any access to high quality new writing that 
isn't on the telly. Um, and so there's definitely a, a theatre aspect to this, as in this is a drama. Um, and so if they can't go to the theatre, maybe the theatre can come to them. So you're right. The impact that we were trying to do was to get a story to the right person in the right place so that it could have the most impact. And when it comes to young people, the relationships that they have with their phone is very deep. Um, And there's a lot of research that suggests that podcasts are important to people because it allows people to change their mood. They go through an experience, an immersive experience that changes how they feel. Feeling down in the dumps? Oh, I'll listen to a comedy. Feeling like I want to kind of find out about a subject? I know what I'll do is I'll listen to some news. Um, But it I think that we've lost trust in the internet as a whole. But what we haven't lost trust in is people's voices we can tell when people are telling the truth we can tell when people but we, you know we all know when we're walking on astroturf and not walking on green grass we just know we've got it inbuilt we've got bullshit detectors that let us know if something isn't worth our while so i think that podcasting is brilliant for all of these things um and i think that the arts council is turning on to that fact that people want content that is in their pockets that is meaningful to them that they can conjure up when they want to um so you're quite right i think niche audiences is really important to understand who you're writing for is really important because um the more you know who you're writing for or the more that you know about your audience the more that you can get them to engage with it play with it the more it impact it can actually have people talk about engagement in podcasting quite a lot but what is engagement engagement is play and so um building around a podcast a website where people can talk building all of that social media collateral is so important because it allows people that space to play and question and have fun and more importantly to meet other people like themselves because social media storytelling as far as i can see is 50 percent the story you want to tell as somebody who's going out to social media but the other half is the connections that people make on the journey of listening to the story that you have created so episodic is so important when it comes to podcasting because it allows people to build that relationship with you what you're saying but also more importantly allows them to build community with the people who are also listening people want their content social people want their content diverse and you know netflix there are so many shows you can find a show for everybody it's not like 26 million people on a saturday night all watching the generation game because we're all the same now it's that everybody gets their own individual game show for the types of things that they like and it's glorious and diverse um and i am a great fan so they liked what you'd come up with but they need they asked you to come back with more Uh, simplification more focus which you then did which to cut a long story short you then got but then you used a crowdfunder to raise the rest of the money now that tell us about that because it's a great way of bringing people's attention to the podcast in the making and get people to, to to get on board with it I think crowdfunders are a really important part of podcasting um, for loads of reasons. I mean, they take effort, they take thought, but what they do is they allow you to have that first chemical reaction between your idea and a potential audience. So 
I believe that audiences, when you're a maker or a writer, are something that you build and it takes, you know, five or ten years to build up your core audience. But once you've done that, that you have a group of people that support you in your new ideas and where you want to go. I think a great analogy for thinking about crowdfunding is, um, well, it's not really an analogy. I think a, a great symbol for thinking about crowdfunding is the fact that one of the first things that was ever crowdfunded was the base to the Statue of Liberty. Um, so the Statue of Liberty arrives from Paris in 1885, the great huge Bertoli statue, and it gets left on the quayside in New York because at that moment in time when it arrives, there is some financial disputes going on in the city about who is going to pay for this huge statue. Um, and you have the other cities around America going, we'll have it. So Chicago's going, please give it to us. And Baltimore's going, we really, really want this. Whilst there's all these arguments going on in New York. And it takes Joseph Perlitzer to actually say, stop this. We're going to run a campaign. And so in his newspaper, he puts an ad saying, we would like to raise money for this pedestal for the great Bartoli statue. And you can see pictures of the, the advert online. Um, and everybody got involved from shoeshine kids that had a dollar to big businessmen. But within a very short amount of time, they had raised the money for the plinth. And so when I think about crowdfunding, I think about it in the sense that you've got this idea, which is like the Statue of Liberty. And what, what you really want is for people to help you build the pedestal upon which to place it. And in that process of getting people involved in your work, you uh, learn about your audience. You find out things about your subject matter that you never really knew about. People come out of the woodwork and say, hey, I can help you with this or I can help you with that. But people really want to get involved with stories that they can be personally engaged with. Um, and they like exclusivity. They like to think of themselves in projects that they think that they are doing some good and that they are on a storytelling journey. And they also can connect with each other as well on that journey. The elevator pitch is actually a very, very good way of drilling down into what you're trying to do. Speaking something out is a great way of actually telling yourself what you're trying to do, isn't it? So whilst I don't think that elevator pitches happen very often, I mean, I've never been in a lift with someone of any influence whatsoever. What I do think does happen is that you are at a party and you are telling somebody about your project and your idea. Um, and um, this excellent woman called Sean Prime, who works at Goldsmiths, uh, told me about a thing called a sip pitch. And a sip pitch is a pitch you can give someone in the amount of time it takes them to take a sip from their drink, because the likelihood is you will be at a party, you will be talking about your project, and you might be talking about somebody that can actually help you. And so can you talk about your project in 30 words or less and make it sound conversational so that the person you're speaking to finds it easy to ask you a question. So Chris, what are you doing? Well, me? Well, you know, I'm trying to create a comedy school that does good. A comedy school that does good? What kind of good? 
you know the kind of thing. It's where it's intriguing enough to to really make that next question from the person you're speaking to so very easy to come up with. Yeah. Then there's this process with the crowdfunder of process, of letting people see your process, showing them a little bit of an idea, a little bit of a trailer on YouTube, saying, come on, we can, we can do this together. It's an investment, isn't it? Does it work? Did your crowdfunder work? Yeah, I raised £2,400 and in about three weeks. Um, we exceeded our goal by about £5, which was a, a great success. Um, but what I think it does do is that it forces you to hone your idea. In order to put it on a Kickstarter, you're having to really think about why you're doing something, who your audience is, what the benefits are going to be. And so I think you create a kind of virtuous circle between Arts Council application, crowdfunder, and also the quality of the podcast itself. All of these things go together to make your podcast better, to put it through some very difficult questions, which when answered correctly will make for something that's going to stand the test of time. But you could say that with any kind of social media. What's interesting with Crowdfunder? Well, I mean, I suppose you could show your process through social media and you do as part of the Crowdfunder. But there feels like there's a momentum with a Crowdfunder. There's the jeopardy. Will he, won't he get to his his uh, target? Uh, you know, I'll be part of that and then we'll be on it together. And that's where the investment comes from. There's a There's an adventure. When you're talking about bringing people on a journey with you, the lovely thing about it is that it is genuinely real. People are not just going to pull money out of their purses and give you stuff unless they actually do want to be part of that. That creates an enormous amount of admin around it. I'm just wondering for people who don't do this for anything other than a bit of love, is it worth it? I would say it's totally worth it. If you believe in your idea and you put yourself out there um, doing something about that and really working with an idea that's bigger than yourself, then I think people really notice. And I think that um, they will crown you head of that tribe for whatever niche subject you're talking about. The fact that you've gone to the effort of putting a podcast together, the fact that you've gone to the effort of doing some crowdfunding really makes a difference in the way that you are perceived as a voice who can speak upon that subject. The result of it, um, Cassie and Crow has been out, what, about a month now, hasn't it? Six weeks? How's it going? So Cassie and Corey has been out since the 20th of May and we're now in July. And in that time, it has had 5,170 downloads um, and uh, only uh, about 10 days ago, it became a new and noteworthy on iTunes which was uh, quite an achievement. Um, and I think that getting your podcast visible is obviously a huge task, but trying to get it visible on iTunes or Spotify is going to be one of your key aims because those are the frontest pieces for so many good bits of content and you've generally had to go through an editorial process in order to get there but the results are that you become visible straight away um, and you get listeners straight away so it's worth really trying to make that happen i mean i went onto linkedin and tried to find the people who were in charge of those actual 
activities of deciding on the editorial of iTunes and also deciding on the editorial of Spotify. And whilst I had success with Spotify, I've had no success whatsoever with iTunes, though I will keep trying. Um, can you unpack that, please? Because when I got onto New and Noteworthy on the Delicious podcast, I wasn't sent an email by New and Noteworthy. I just somebody happened to see it and told me about it, which is the only reason I knew it was there. Let's unpack what you just said and and try and find out how we can manipulate that. So I actually wrote to uh, New and Noteworthy on iTunes um, and what I did is I knew that from having spoken to other people who do podcasts who'd also been on New and Noteworthy, that if you are prepared and make their job easy, you're much more likely to get some kind of reaction. So what do I mean by that? I mean, we had all the artwork ready exactly to specification and we sent that with our request. And what we said was we, we tried to pick out what was new and noteworthy about the podcast and why it was important. And for us, that was to do with the fact that we were working with some incredible black talent and that they needed to be showcased uh, because of traditional reasons for underrepresentation and also that uh, it was for a niche audience and also that it had been funded by the Arts Council and it was something truly original. It was a drum and bass musical about eating disorders and that's a mashup, that's a genre mashup of which there are you know there's lots to like there um it's original it hasn't been done before and the aim is to do some good thanks for listening you can buy the book how to start and grow a podcast by me Julie smith featuring all the interviewees in this podcast at any bookshop or go to julysmith.com and click on the bookshop tab and join me next week when i'm with the niche podcast the logbooks which pulled an extraordinary treasure trove of untold stories from britain's queer history to scoop the 2020 british podcast awards best new podcast.